live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center. It's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield and Adam Hill, only on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Cofield and Company back here on a Wednesday. Adam Hill is in. It's Cofield. Big show on the way. We're going to talk to Justin Watkins a little later as we're at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. So uh, finally off the road, Adam. How was your trip? Uh, good. Got to explore Houston a little bit. Got to see some basketball. Talked to a lot of people around the college basketball world and uh, explore cities that have mass transit, which is always fun. You love that. I do. Bus or rail? Both. Okay. Both. But the bus system's awesome there. Uh, and they have a rail that goes some places, not all the most convenient places, but uh, you also see your mix of you know getting around town very efficiently and just complete wildness. What was the wildness? Uh, well, there's a lot of a lot of wild people that just use mass transit for one. But oh, okay. Uh, uh, there was a fight getting onto one of the trains on Sunday. Over Monday, couldn't tell. Just people arguing at each other, and then one just absolutely laid out the other one with one of the bigger punches I've seen in a long time. Dudes? Yeah. And the guy was just, there was blood shooting from his head. Just shooting everywhere. Did you get blood on you? No, but he then stepped in. He was like, all right, just got on the train. And people were like, no, get out. What are you doing? There's just blood shooting everywhere. You can't get oh, on the Oh, the guy train. got punched in the face was like, I'm good. Yeah, he's like, all right, I'm going on the train. Like, no. They kicked him off. And then he got off the train and some medical personnel came. And he said, uh, I don't deal with cops and took off. Just blood just squirting out of his head. Okay. It was fun. That's a good story. Was that, that wasn't in the rundown. That was great. I was like, hey, what happened? It's a good eh, time. Fight, big punch, blood squirting. <laughs> I just like that the guy got on the train and like, no, man, get off me. I thought that you went to a bowling alley. I did. Is that your continuing tour of sometime tragic incidents? Yeah. Yeah. Not not too long ago, too. Uh, you know, Migos lost uh, one of their founding members take off and uh went over and checked out the scene it happened uh, right outside of bowling out right downtown actually just about three blocks from uh from toyota center oh wow from convention center where you were yeah went and, and checked it out and you took photos of course that's what i do so now your sights along those lines are up to what 10 15 uh Not that many? more probably more really i've seen, seen a lot I've seen a lot of places uh, what's been the most uh, kind of haunting when you when you went? You're like, ooh, this one. I will say, and you can add. Well, uh, our good friend Miles got dragged into one that was pretty tough. Was it? Um, I didn't tell him really where we were. Oh no! And we were just walking around a neighborhood. Yes. And he said, "Can we get out of here? This, I don't have a good feeling. I don't like this." And I was like, "No, let's walk around." And he's like, and he said, "No, nah, man." And he's like, "I'm. I can't. I can't do this anymore." You didn't he's tell like, him. He's like, "Where are we?" And I was like, oh, see that lot over there? That was uh, Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment. They knocked it down. Why would you know where the lot was? <laughs> Research. Oh, my God. Researched it. And he was like, all right, we have to go. But he got dragged to that one. He didn't love it. Yeah. All right. Well, good way to start out the show in gross fashion. Uh, we'll continue the theme. Uh, the folks of the Masters, just horrendous. We'll get into it in about 15 minutes. This whole thing with Liv and the Saudis and puffing their chest out last year, they have now walked it back. <laughs> All of the live guys, you know, who can be in the Masters, however it works, what there's 18 of them, they're now included, and there is no explanation in spite of the fact, like I said, there was a bunch of tough guy talk out there. But when it comes to actually doing something, the folks of the Masters really will never do anything unless it's an easy target. Uh, 
That all said, we'll start out lightly. I know a lot of people are having fun with the Masters dinner. Every year. Everyone else is making their own menu. We had Gronk making a menu about two weeks ago. Okay, so what is the real menu? So with the only thing that we talked we talked about the full menu a while ago, but one of the things that was on the menu was Scotty style sliders. Who is Scotty? Scotty Scheffler. And who is he? The winner of the Masters, okay. who got to choose the the menu, and he had like the, it was like chicken fingers and there was some sushi on there. It was a fairly normal menu. It was kind of like a I'm down with it. We were like, hey, this is normal food, but one of the things was Scotty style sliders. So everybody kind of was like, what is a Scotty style slider? Apparently, it's just a slider with French fries on the slider, with a burger and the fries on it. Okay. And the official Masters Twitter account actually uh, posted a video showing the process of making the Scotty-style slider, so everybody got to see it. It actually looks fine. The problem is if you're if you're making these and then passing them out, like it was on one of those trays and kind of walked around the the room with it. It looked like like how long is a French fry going to stay good on a slider if you're walking it around the room and handing them out to people? I think that's the biggest problem. But a lot of people said it looked awful. I, I thought it looked fine. It's passable. It's fine. I don't need fr- I don't need my fries on the sandwich. No. I'm a dipper. Me too. So I want the fries on the side, and I want them well done. I want them crispy. I want them done correctly. God, I had some breakfast potatoes over the weekend where I was like, come on, well done on the breakfast potatoes. I get them. They're, like, they're not well done. Just a couple little things I want. I'm not high-maintenance guy. I think, I think well done is too much on the potatoes. On the breakfast? Yeah. Uh, I would rather have it much more you know, well done, than almost squishy. burnt, than squishy. I don't like kind of raw tasting potatoes. It doesn't do it for yeah, me. And that's I don't fair. know that I want soggy, wet ones Excuse me. on my slider. Yeah, that, that's the big, the biggest problem is you've you there's like a very, very specific amount of time. It's like two minutes after they come out of the uh, of the fryer that you want to have the, 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 the fries on the slider. After that, it's probably awful. That's my only issue. So you're back from covering the NCAA tournament. I covered sure. it up until the game started and I left. <laughs> but you were there. I was. You said nothing over about the experience, which is interesting. We'll, we'll try to pull well, some info out of you. Because it feels two days late. It, it is late. It yeah. is late. One of the angles I did want to cover, um, one is looking ahead. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, Drake finally did win a bet. So UConn kind of came he? through. Well, he lost He lost the bigger bet. Did he break even at least? No. Oh, he didn't. No, he lost money. Oh, everyone's like, well, he didn't lose all of it. He didn't lose all of it, I guess is the... Because what did he bet? between? Like... He had $250,000 that they'd win be- by between 6 and 10. Right. And $100,000 that they'd win by 11 or more. Okay, so he got the 11 or but more. But the problem was the 11 or more was plus 230. So he gets back $330,000. And he he dished out 350000 So that's a... A net of negative 20,000. But this is, I've talked about this before. This was how my grandma used to bet, and that she would put every cent that she had into the machines and say, like, on a night, she'd put in like $700 and then she'd cash out for, you know, 200. Yeah. And say she won 200. Like, no, you lost 500. That's, but that's what the people are talking about with Drake here. I, I don't think, I don't think it's being, I think it's just a complete lack of understanding. People right. just don't understand betting still, even though it's it's more uh, you know legalized and it's more regulated and it's more out there in your face so much all over the country. People just still, still don't get it. It's like, oh, he won a bet, but he lost. He he lost money on this bet. It's all right. He still he hit something. I mean, he liked UConn in the game. He just didn't. I don't think he allocated his resources very well. Were you surprised by the result? I tried for a middle because I had bet 
right before the final four, I took UConn minus 125 for the title. I asked every gambler we had on, was this a terrible bet? It probably was. Um, but I won that one. And then I, as I was sitting there watching, I, I tried to get a middle. I was trying to get San Diego State plus 12 and a half. They went up losing by 17. The middle wouldn't have worked. But as it turned out, when I woke up the next day, I looked and I hadn't put the bet in for San Diego State. Oh, so all okay. I had was a UConn Good. bet. So something, uh, so, something was going on. I don't, know, I don't know what was happening where I wasn't of a clear mind. The, re- the reason I think it was a, it was probably a bad bet is usually in those cases, if you just bet and then roll over, if you bet money line and then roll it over and bet money line again, it's going to pay more. The problem that you had that I also had, because I also had the same thing you did, minus 125 to win the title going into the Final Four, is that I wasn't here. Like I wasn't going to be able to bet it, yep. and freaking Texas, yeah. So know, that was, we that asked was my issue. We asked uh, we asked a lot of people down in Texas, like, what the hell's going on here? But apparently, politics rule, and you still have a religious element. And then um, I don't know what was going on uh, with Mattress Mac. And again, you guys, I, I talked to Mattress Mac, and we posted the interview up on social media. And I asked him, like, why isn't it in Texas? And he just kind of gave a selfish answer, where he's like, "Well, I'm glad it's not here because I'm too impulsive. So at least I don't get the bet every day." Huh. Like, well, that doesn't really explain why it's not here, but I guess there are some forces fighting against it. And then I was actually, you know, right there on state line in Kansas City and Mizzou. And uh, one morning I was having breakfast across state line. And I'm, I'm like, okay, let me bet on the Kansas account. I just, well, nope, state line. <laughs> bet the geofencing, <laughs> yeah. like 40 feet from state yeah, line. That's wild. So you still, have, you still have states out there that are letting jabronis fight the battle against sports and, gambling, and it's not legal. And that's also a good, a good spot. And I thought about this last time I was in Kansas City, too, where – we need nationwide, first of all, so when we're here, we can go back. You need to have accounts you can do anywhere. But, like, there, you're going to have to have separate accounts for Kansas and Missouri yep. so that you, if you're – you might be – there is places, and I've been to the places, where there's a restaurant that's in, like, Kansas and a bar in the same plaza is in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And if you, you walk from one or the other, you got to switch accounts. <laughs> like, yes, it's, yep. cr- it's crazy. So, yeah, you have to figure out – you have to figure out a way to do it nationwide and have some of the – some of the, you know, some, a lot of the places are in every state anyway. So um, let, them, let them have booking that they can do all over the place. So all I bet is pizza money. I don't bet big, but I just want some action. I say that all the time. Today I was looking on who to bet for the title for the NCAA tournament next year. Obviously, stupid from a money management standpoint, especially if you're going to put a lot of money because it has to sit around forever. Two... Does anyone have any clue what rosters are going to look like no. at most programs between guys deciding to go? Well, here I'll try to summarize it. So good players who may have on rosters now who may have NBA aspirations and a chance to get drafted at them. What are they going through? What they're looking at is they're sizing up one. What happens if I go to the NBA? What am I making there? If I don't make the league and I get rid of my eligibility, what can I make at the lower level? right? What can endorsements possibly be? Then what do I make or will I make at my current school? And then I've got to look around a little bit. What can I make at another school? This is yeah. for the guys who are NBA, who are NBA players. I think they are. They have a three pronged business decision here. Yeah, no question. And, and some, there's still going to be some coaching movement. Like I think if, if can, that's another good point. If uh, I don't know, Sonogo, I think Sonogo is actually a really good example. I don't think he's a high level NBA player. I think he's a good backup power guy. Right? You you agree, or you think yeah. he's some elite player? He's a six nine two fifty guy, and maybe he can maybe he can uh, defend on the perimeter. We're getting dragged out into deep waters, but he's like a perfect example because he may not be a first round pick. How much money can you make if you're not a first round pick? Will you be in the NBA? Will you be in the G League? Do you have to go play internationally? 
do you stay at UConn? What can they offer? I know people hate this. Uh-huh. What can they offer NIL? And then is, I don't know, I'll say Gonzaga. Is Gonzaga going, hey, you know, we've got a hole now with Drew Timmy. Let's offer that million dollars to Sonogo. Well, and, and I mean, the perfect example I would think of is a team from this weekend would be Florida Atlantic, who brings everyone back. Yep. But for now, there's going to be a bidding war for every player on that team. Yep. And they paid, and, and they it's paid, not a critique they paid the of coach. Them. They paid the coach. Yeah. It's not a critique of them to say, no. hey, look, they should. If if school A, whoever, let's just say another team that I'm going to say, who would I look at betting? Maybe St. John's. You think the New York money is going to come in yep. to, to patina in that program? I did not bet St. John's today, but I thought about it. But I want to see at least a couple of the players that they're going to be getting in addition to who he's already building with. But if you come into those, if you come into those kids and you're like, Hey, I know you guys have something special and you want to run this back and try to get to the final four again with this team that you have everyone back for, but Hey, here's 3 million bucks. The kids should say yes. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I know that a lot of people probably hate that. The kids should say yes to that. Especially if you're not a guaranteed, you know, NBA player and you have whatever, I think 3 million for one player might be a little bit high, but I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Yeah. But if someone's throwing you two, three, four hundred thousand dollars, and you've made no money, nil, you really haven't gotten any exposure until this tournament. I'm not going to get on a kid for doing that. No. And then I keep seeing you know people out there keep throwing out this whole loyalty thing. There's no loyalty. The coaches are not loyal. The transfer portal in basketball is up to like thirteen. I think it was just short. It was twelve ninety four this afternoon. I'm sure it's pushed over thirteen hundred players. I would safely guess, and I think I'm undershooting. I would safely guess that of the thirteen hundred players. 25% of them were told to hit the bricks by their coaching staff that they were told go. And it could be a good player, but that good player shows a little doubt. Hey, I'm going to look around and the coach could be like, I don't have time. So I don't have time for you to drag us out three weeks. Go. And by the way, you and maybe we'll have a spot for you. If you don't, if you don't like your experience being pitched by everyone else, maybe we'll have a spot for you. And I'm telling you at least 25% of those 1300 kids, if not more, were told by their current school, we're good with you leaving. No, I and you don't hear about the stories that much because why would a kid want to say that? Yeah. It's embarrassing to yeah. be like, yeah, I was at a school. I I literally talked to a kid last week who confirmed. We knew that was the story, but he confirmed it, and yeah. he's like, I, please don't write that. Yeah, he's like, I'll tell you that's a, that's what happened, but please don't write that. They don't want that out there. No, they don't want they don't want people to know that their school was like, hey, hit the bricks. Like that's that's embarrassing to them, but it happens. So today I bet Creighton at thirty to one. I bet. Gonzaga at 40, and if everyone out there is like, they're not going to have Timmy. They just lost, lost Hunter Salas. They're going to lose Julian Strother. I don't care because I know they will have a top five budget for NIL. Yeah. We got into this discussion last week with Willie where he's like, well, I don't, I don't know. This could be the last chance they have for a while to win a national title. Let's see what they do yeah. in the portal. We'll see. Yes. Uh, I bet Gonzaga to win the title next year at 40. Uh, by the way, San Diego State, you can get it 100, but I don't know what their team's going to look like, right? A lot of these old guys are finally done, we think. Um, and then I actually – I took a shot on Boise State just to advance in the tournament because I think they're going to be pretty loaded and I could hedge it. They're 200 to one. And I did bet Florida at 125 to one because if you look at a lot of the final five list from a bunch of kids, Florida seems to be on every one of them. And so is Arkansas. Florida has a budget and we know Musselman does. I mean, Musselman told us, not personally, but before his game in the Sweet 16, he was lamenting about the fact that all oh, this game, he didn't say it this way, but like this game's in my way. I got to be recruiting in the portal right now. Like, worry about the game, Muss. It'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He actually wanted to pitch like the portal should not be open during the tournament. During the tournament, everyone should wait for Which me. Maybe, may, might be right. Maybe he's right. Might be right. Although but this, it, that is like the the benefit you get of not being in the tournament is that you can start re, start yeah. your recruiting. But at least 
Eric Musselman stands for something. The guys down at the Masters, <laughs> I was going to say not so sure. No, they're consistent. They stand for nothing. Cofield and Company is live at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers at 702-766-1400. Fred Ridley, is that the latest chairman of the Masters? You didn't invite Greg Norman, but you have Phil and 17 other guys there. Sure. So what happened to this tough stance back in December? And again, I don't care who's there and who's not. But if you lay the blueprint back in December that, hey, what these guys did puts dishonor on the people who've built the Masters, then why are you backing down in April? And then the cockamamie word salad the guy threw out today to Christine Brennan from USA Today. I mean, Christine Brennan was really strong on this. And, you know, what she described, and I know this is, I think this is why you've been so hard on Liv, you know, and the Saudis, the term she used is the sports wash. Yeah. That the Saudis are spending money to basically take the eyes off the disgusting prize, which is that they were the financial backers of 9-11. And they're trying to get involved in sports and like kind of wash the image. And then you've got all these American organizations that are allowing it to happen. But initially they're like, we're outraged. And then when it comes to actually make the decision and ban guys, they don't have the stones to do it. And this guy Ridley, he's like, he's sitting up there chest puffed out about Greg Norman. What about the rest of them? Yeah. I don't even, I mean, people would notice that Greg Norman was there. They really noticed Phil is though. Sure. But I, I, the one thing I think, and, and I think you're right. You can't, you can't be the person that comes out with this strong stance and like, it's so bad, but then still invite them. You can't do that. It just, it just looks so bad. The only thing I can think of is if he made a strong stance and he was committed to it, and then who's the only person more important than him? CBS said, eh, we're going to have those guys here. Yeah, Christine Brennan said, uh, this is of Fred Ridley. Back in December, used the words, quote, regrettably diminishing the virtues of the game and the meaningful legacies of those who built it, and you said you were disappointed. Presumably because of the golfers who left their jobs and went into business with the Saudis responsible for 9-11, the murder and dismemberment, of Jamal Khashoggi and terrible, abysmal human rights violations. So now they're here, obviously. You have 18 here. The picture last night, six of them at the Champions Dinner. Are you at all concerned that you're actually helping the Saudi sports wash because of their joy in seeing a picture like that last night? Are you helping them actually sports wash their reputation? And then the guy went into some freaking ridiculous word maze about how he wasn't passing personal judgment on these players and and while he doesn't agree with what they did, he's friends with them. And then he brought up something else about tradition and some law firm that he's part of that's been around for 180 <laughs> years. And, like, he never answered the question, which is, why are they here? You were outraged in December. Why are they here in April? And I'm telling you, the, the reason this really gets me, and I hope people never forget this, these sons of bitches, they won't take a stance here, right? Oh, but when Tiger Woods was in trouble and shamed for infidelity, infidelity here was the former chairman billy payne standing up there puffing his chest out wagging his finger at someone in tiger woods who uh you know morally is crap it is not simply the degree of his conduct that is so egregious here it is the fact that he disappointed all of us and more importantly our kids and our grandkids our hero did not live up to the expectations of the role model we sought for our children I mean, come on. They did that? Just and now, now that not, with not waving a Saudi flag now? Yeah. 
And that's why every time these guys are involved in something where they have to take a stand, make a statement, it's generally in action, except for Tiger Woods doinking a bunch of chicks on the side of his wife. That that's, was just outrageous. That's egregious. But again, Tiger still played, and these guys are playing. Like I, I do think part of why they can't. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced it was a TV decision, obviously, and it was. Hey, look, I'm not going to give a normal answer. I'm just going to go in circles here because right. what am I going to tell you that CBS told me like you're putting these guys in the tournament, so I did it. That doesn't sound very good either. Right. I'm sure that a lot of it's legal. Then come out and say it. Sure. Don't just reverse your st- not. It is reversing a stance by not saying anything. Um, and then last night at the Champions Dinner, who was hanging out with Phil? Who were the guys who still like Phil? Apparently nobody. Really? He was reportedly uh, on the end of a table and just sat quietly and nobody really talked to him. Good. It's like a high school lunch with some outcast <laughs> kid in the corner. A kid who like... Went to a new school and turned his back on everyone and said, screw all of you. I hate you. I'm going to a new school. Yeah, I'm back here for today. Nah, bro. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ. Or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Now, back to Cofield and Company. Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Dan Hurley there talking about the uh, national championship. Good luck charms. Huh. Adam Hill, Steve Cofield. Let's uh, break down the men's a little bit. We really want to get to the women's tournament because I, um, we all had a chance to watch it. And now the aftermath has just been highly entertaining, uh, pretty divisive. I actually think really good for women's basketball. But there is some responsibility that comes with making some of the statements here that especially Angel Reese is making. And I'm waiting for Kim Mulkey to speak up. And maybe I've missed it. Let's bring in Debbie Antonelli who calls the games really all over women's basketball, WNBA and Westwood One Voice and ESPN as well. How are you? Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. These are wild times right now. <laughs> I, thought it, I thought the weekend was really good for women's basketball with a good game with two big stars, you know, a, a villain coach and Kim Mulkey. And, man, this week has turned into something way beyond what we thought. Yeah, you know, I'm not big on race, religion, sex, or politics being a part of our game, but that seems to be all that anyone wants to talk about on a 9.9 million rating, the highest ever in the history of the game. I think the product is the narrative, and that's the spin that I always give. That said, like I mentioned, it's not bad, though, if you're getting mainstream coverage, and this is kind of something I've always discussed with women's sports, if you're going to get the coverage, a lot of it's going to be like men's sports, and we get titillated by a lot of this stuff, on the men's side. Let's talk about the game first, and then we can talk about what's happened since. I thought going in that LSU was going to make it their mission to slow down Clark. They did it decently. It's not like they shut her down to 12 points. What do you think of their defense? And especially after she walked into a couple of 25-footers, did you see some change? Yeah. Listen, uh, Kim Mulkey's a veteran of that environment, right? She had been 3-0 and in a title game, so she knew how to win and how to get her team ready. And so uh, they were definitely ready, and they had a, an SEC caliber defense and ability to rebound. They just had really good guards, or better guards than what South Carolina had. And, you know, slowing Caitlin down to 30, yeah, that's a good night when you can slow her down. Caitlin Clark, you know, swept all the National Player of the Year awards, and she's done things in the women's game we've not seen. And uh, I think she's a barometer and for moving forward in our game. But, yeah, holding her to 30, I'd say they did a good job on her. 
there was so much talk that it was going to be South Carolina. South Carolina is going to win. Nobody can beat them. Going into the tournament, did you did you think LSU was one of those teams that actually had a chance to to unseat them? I actually did pick the Iowa win over South Carolina, but I, wow. I didn't think that LSU was going to be the national champion, uh, not at the beginning of the year. And certainly, if you pressed Kim Mulkey on a two-year timeline where she had just, you know, come in and and uh, you know started to build what would be putting her stamp on a program. I think what you've seen in LSU on the women's side is a microcosm of what we're seeing in college basketball, NIL, transfer portal, and then there are some COVID year um, athletes that are playing. So there is a little bit older on the women's side. And uh, definitely, I mean, LSU is certainly worthy. They're a worthy champion. And and Kim Mulkey is uh, one of the, the best coaches we've ever had. I guess just on Kim Mulkey in general, what makes her so good? What makes her so special? Obviously doing it in in a couple different places now uh, and being able to take a team this far. And I guess in the game, from the outside, I think people have identified her as a villain. Like in the game, how is she viewed? Hmm. Oh, no, she's she's very polarizing (laughs) because she's very transparent about how she feels. You know, and I think sometimes (laughs) she rubs people the wrong way, but – no, I mean, she's a winner. I mean, if you've known Kim and her resume, you could look at it. It's pretty simple. She's won a couple titles as a player, as an assistant coach. Now she's got four as a head coach at two different places. As you know, it's been pretty well documented. Only Rick Pitino has done that on the men's side. So she's in uncharted territory. But let me give you guys this number because I had this number uh, and I requested this number from the athletic department at LSU before we got to the Sweet 16. Uh, the first, the, or let me say it this way, the last two years at LSU before Kim Mulkey arrived, if you added ticket sales, parking, and concessions, the total in those two years, these are fiscal year numbers, 164000 The two years that Kim Mulkey has been at LSU, when you take ticket sales, parking, and concessions, over $2.5 million. When Scott Woodard, the AD at LSU, hired her, I immediately coined her ROI, return on investment, Mm -hmm. because I knew if you went out and recruited her and you brought her to Baton Rouge, you knew exactly what the package was, you knew what the demand was going to be and the expectation, and LSU was willing to build around what Kim Mulkey would do. That's why I always say the product is the narrative, guys, because the product (laughs) is really good. Kim Mulkey puts a winning product on the floor, and people are rallied and galvanized around it, and it results in a return on investment and, in two years, a national championship. I mean, sure, those numbers are impressive, but how much has their clothing budget gone up? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, (laughs) yeah. No, it's it's obviously a a, a great story and and what what she was able to build and and so quickly there. Um, I, I guess what was it about her team that was so you know impressive and so able to to fight through and battle and, and be there at the end. You know, Kim has um, got a couple of cornerstones that make her program really good. Defense and rebounding are two, and then the ability to play with pace. Everybody talks it, but they actually push. And she has guards that can get off the get it up and down the floor. They can rebound, get it off the glass, and go. Um, they play at a little bit quicker pace, and they're more skilled in the backcourt. And, you know, in the SEC, you don't see a lot of five-out motion offenses. You see a, a lot of what South Carolina and LSU run. And uh, I think they were equipped to guard that motion offense a little bit better. 
and uh, they had uh, the ability to counter and score. I mean, we've never had a team score 102 points, guys. We've never had three players have 20 or more points in a national championship game on the same team. That's incredible, and um, that, that's really exciting for the future of our game. What do you think of the officiating in the final? Uh, say, the, the, uh, say it again? The officiating in that final game, what did you think? A lot of people thought Mulkey kind of yeah. pushed around the officials, thought the, the T on Clark was crazy. I did not like the technical foul on Caitlin Clark. I've been doing this a long time. I have never seen an official give a technical for that. There was an earlier delay of game warning. The second delay of game does is a technical foul. Uh, however, I didn't think that at that point in the game, based on, yeah, Caitlin Clark tossed the ball behind her, but she also tossed it to the spot where the officials were going to be inbounding the ball after the foul. So uh, I, I don't like it. I don't like that, uh, that this is a, a player that, you know, gets her fourth foul in a key critical situation in the game when we know that there are 9.9 million people watching. We want our best product on the floor. So I'm not happy about that, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that aren't happy about Caitlin Clark getting that technical foul. Debbie Antonelli's with us, uh, analyst for women's basketball, called the men's games as well, Westwood one. So moving forward, we're going to get both of these players back, right? Reese and Clark are back uh, playing college basketball next year, correct? Oh, yeah, and here's the other thing too, guys. I mean, you know, UConn didn't make it to the Final Four this year, and it's the first time in the last 15 years, right, because they had gone 14 consecutive years. It's an unbelievable number by Coach Oriema. So it's very impressive with his team over the years to do that. But also ESPN is not going to have rights to the Big Ten next year. So UConn is on the Big East, Fox Sports, and um, wherever they, their own, they have their own network, SUNY, you know, SNY runs their own network for UConn women's basketball. And then the Big Ten network and Fox will have the Big Ten. So this is going to force ESPN, our company, to start telling stories of some other stars and other stories in our game. This is going to grow our game. It's a subtle way of looking at it, but it's definitely going to have a mark on the game. I think it's a really interesting way of looking at it because um, when ESPN is involved in something, they, they blow it up. They have a vested interest, so they're going to provide a lot of coverage. I, I also think what just happened in this tournament and now the narratives afterwards are going to be a great way to lead into the WNBA. Yes, but not, the two players in, in conversation, Caitlin Clark and uh, Angel Reese, will not be players playing in the WNBA this year. But it's still, I think there's an incredible spillover from the amount of interest that hopefully will fuel the WNBA numbers to be similar. Um, i, I got to believe that they will bring, bring more people to the women's game, and that's what we all want. No doubt. Uh, Ace is going to win it again, or has New York loaded up enough to combat them? I don't know, guys. You guys are in a pretty good spot there. I mean, you got to love it. I hope you go to the game. It's amazing how good that team is. And uh, I, I think they're going to be better with Candace Parker there. So, yeah, they should be back-to-back. I would pick them right now. I picked them last year, and I'm not surprised that they win it again. We run the games. So we're the only station. I think the Acers are still the only team in the country that has a, a home radio broadcast. I know we're adding in the market local TV. So I think 40 Aces games are going to be on local TV as well. That's amazing. That's incredible. And uh, there you go right there. That's a great example of how uh, the investment started to take place to showcase uh, the game at the highest level. That's, that's amazing. Congratulations. So let's close where we started. Debbie Antonelli's with us. And that was starting to lean into the whole Jill Biden and Reese thing. If you were a coach or a mentor to Reese, 
What do you tell her about this moment? Because these are big moments for her in terms of what she's saying and the kind of impact she can have. Well, if you're referencing her comments back to Jill Biden about, you know, you know, um, I'm not sure exactly what she said, but um, I would paraphrase what she said in terms of, you know, no, thank you. Like, you know, just don't make this political or don't make this racial. I, I think, um, you know, I would tell her to take a deep breath before she hits the send button and think about the the impact of what she's doing. And if you don't care, you got to think about somebody else that might be impacted by what you're saying or how you're going about conducting your business. I just might put a little hesitation and put a pause on it just to make sure that, and I'm sure LSU has provided lots of social media counseling and education and have, have helped the players with their NIL deals and other things that, that they need to be aware of. But I also think that once you put it out there on social media, you can't take it back. So, um, you know, you don't want something lingering 10, 15 years from now when your play career is over and you're trying to find a job. I know it seems pretty simple, or you may look at it as kind of callous, but uh, that's the way I look at it. No, I, I'm, uh, I'm along the same lines. I express your opinion, but realize there's a massive impact here, and this is something that you're going to, you know, possibly have to deal with, maybe not the right way to put it, but deal with for years. All right, um, before we get you out here, and we appreciate the time Debbie Antonelli's with us, where are we going with the men's game in the offseason here? Because we opened the show today, and we're a big college basketball market. We love college basketball. And basically, we just talked about speculation on uh, who's going to stay, what teams are going to be active in the portal, how much money is out there for the players. Right now, until they put up some guardrails and tweaks, college basketball on the men's side has completely changed. Yeah, it's it's different. I mean, I work in the men's side 50-50 of my schedule. It's a it's a totally different ball game. I think you're like I said, it's a microcosm of where the game is that Kim Mulkey can in two years quickly win a national championship. I don't think that's really any different. You guys know if you don't know how I feel about Vegas and what a market it is for basketball. I've been talking about fifteen years of sweet sixteen to Vegas. That was initially my idea and I put it out there fifteen years ago because I wanted the women's game to have a big wow or a bang or a pop. Well, we went to two regionals this year, and ABC jumped on, and ratings are better than they've ever been. So um, I think for on the men's side, college basketball is at an interesting crossroads. Um, I, I, can, I am concerned down the road that, you know, we as college basketball fans, and uh, we like to see parity and we like to see upsets, but the quality of the men's game the other night, because I was in Houston, I was watching the game, and – in the second half, before we hit the um, eight, you know, before we got to the 12-minute mark, there was a combined 14 fouls called eight minutes in the second half of the men's game. So I'm not sure that's exactly what we're wanting to be entertained by. So I think there's a there's a larger question here about rights fees, style of play, how the game's going to continue to evolve, what the networks want, is parity really good? Do we only want blue blood? I do consider UConn to be a blue blood. Uh, but I don't consider San Diego State to be that. So um, until you've won multiple, you wouldn't be get characterized that way. But I think there's, um, you know, the NCAA is chasing. Um, they've been chasing this issue. They had an opportunity to do something out front, and now it's gotten, you know, on the tracks and it's rolling full steam down the down the tracks. It's, it's anything's up for grabs, and um, it is free agency, and it, there is um, the portal. That's what the portal has become. And uh, there is tampering taking place. And so there's a lot of stuff happening on the men's and the women's side that hopefully someone will be able to regulate or put some guardrails on it, definitely need some guidelines. 
Uh, I just don't know what they are. And I can tell you guys right now, we're going to lose some really good coaches in our game that, that don't want to deal with it. Uh, I keep saying last one, but you hooked me on the style of play thing because this is something we talk about on this show all the time. We cover a lot of Mountain West Conference, and I think in conferences where there's a standard bear, a team that everyone's trying to beat, most of the conference tries to build the same way. Like in the Mountain West Conference, everyone's trying to build to play rough-and-tumble basketball instead of wide-open basketball. UNLV is trying one in, four out, but they haven't had you know a ton of success. They had a good year this year, 19 wins, but they faltered a bit in conference. I think the Big Ten's the same way. I, I, Big Ten's still playing traditional 4-5 up front. So if you want to, if you want to move more towards openness and FIBA basketball, how do you do it without coming out for a season like for the first two months, just calling a billion fouls to send the message that you know cut it out with the rough play, the clutching, the grabbing? How like how do we fix it? Uh, I wish you guys had led with that because I could have spent the whole time talking about why <laughs> I coined shoot till your arm falls off, freedom of movement, get in the gym and score. We want offense. Defense doesn't win championships. Offense does. The product is the narrative. We've got ticket-selling players. We have to let them play. In the women's game, we do not have what the NDA has, which the WNDA, WNDA has, which is the defensive three-second rule. We're playing in a crowd. We need skill sets to continue to evolve. Very few teams play with a double-low post anymore. Um, you have to build your offense to be able to handle all defenses. Under overhead strap, ice jam switch, drop are the eight different coverages on ball screens, and we don't even use all of those or a variation of them. Become a better scorer. Be offensive-minded. That's how the game's going to continue to grow. It's not grinded out defense on the block. The NBA has moved away from two low posts. They have one. They usually have a 7-2 guy who runs, who can screen, who can rebound, who can block shots. They don't even run plays for those five. Okay, so – I think this is where we're going. I think this is the trend. And I'm going to tell you something Jim Laranega told me. Jim Laranega, the head coach from Miami, I covered him a lot. I had him in Iona for CBS uh, on their first and second round games. He told me back in the, in the beginning of the season, every day since June, he is preparing his team to play North Carolina, Duke, and Virginia. Those three teams, you have to understand how they play and what you have to be able to do to beat them. What is so hard about understanding that? Conceptually, in the summer, you should be putting in everything you need to be able to win. There should be, we don't have enough time to, to prepare. Why are they there in summer school? They should, they're in summer school so that they can get their degree and work out. Well, aren't you putting your system in then? You're not certainly waiting until October. So I, I don't know, guys. I mean, like, I could go on a rant all day about this, but I do care about offense. I do think it's the ticket seller. And I do think that teams need to be able to shoot till their arm falls off, right into an ice bucket. Excellent spot. Awesome passion. We appreciate it. We know you have to run. So thank you so much. All right, guys. Thank you. There you go. Debbie Antonelli, who apparently Ari coming in said we were talking men's basketball. I wanted to talk women's basketball. So that's the way things go. Sure. But we're in line on the, on the brawl ball, except San Diego State benefited from it. So they made it. It worked. They made it, and now everyone's looking up like, oh, maybe that is the way to go. Well, it also – there was times – and it, it's a topic you can do a million times, but there were times during the tournament I thought of Alabama in the second half in particular where it could have gone either way because the referees basically let San Diego State just beat the hell out of them. And they could have called every one of them, and Alabama would have blown them out of the gym. So you also have to get lucky, in a sense, of having the right kind of time, right, where they just kept knocking guys down and scoring – and Alabama's like looking at the refs, like, what are you doing? What is this? 
well, hey, if we're going to let this go, you're going to have success. And if we don't, then you're not. And that, that's why that style sometimes works and sometimes backfires. Somebody live every Thursday at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook. Weekly giveaways and awesome game day food and drink specials. Thursdays, 3 to 6 p.m. at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Justin Watkins, Legal Insider. Coming up in just a couple minutes. So interesting conversation there with Debbie Antonelli, who was really fired up at the end talking about freedom of movement in basketball. And it's something we talk about college basketball. We talk about all the time, but it was very interesting on the front end. She tried to disarm us basically to say, Hey, she didn't want to talk about the, the Reese and Clark and now uh Flotus drama, which I think I'm not ripping her, but people who were like, let's talk about the game. You're not there yet. And by your, I don't mean that she's women's basketball or she's men's basketball. Women's basketball is not there yet. I'm not even sure men's basketball is there anymore. The NBA is not there yet. Like we, can we sit here and break down the game? Yes. Do you care out there? The majority of the audience, probably not. What is going on right now? And what happened right after, which I think it was total nonsense, but it is a massive benefit. The whole Clark Reese thing, talking trash. It is a massive benefit for casual eyes to get on women's basketball at the collegiate level, for then then it to explode into this whole racial thing now. Shannon Sharp, we'll have to play that stuff tomorrow. Shannon Sharp's talking about the election, that Reese is now going to affect the election. By the way, I mean, this is in the end, this is all good for women's basketball. And as you were just saying off the air, you could say it on the 9.9 million who showed up to watch on Saturday for the t- the uh, title game were there for the drama but the, like the game has been fine for a long time the game's still fine nobody cares if the game's fine by the way we led the show today talking about um if i remember correctly it was about an hour ago but uh we were talking about who the best driver on the pga is and who's right. gonna who's gonna hit the most fairways in the masters right isn't that what we isn't that what we talked about oh no it was the drama between the live guys and the the regular tour guys and meeting up and who's picking what food that's what we're talking about because like you can talk about the logistics of the game and who's going to play the best in the Masters all you want, P- people don't care. They want the drama. Some do for all sports. Some do. Very few. But most people are very casual sports fans, and I do believe. And I don't know what what she was saying about the WNBA. I believe this is a great springboard into the WNBA season, and I understand, as I said in the interview, Reese and Clark are not playing in the WNBA for at least a couple of years. But I guarantee you. If the Angel Reese, Joe Biden, you know, kind of Clark off to the side now, if this stuff continues a little bit longer, even if it doesn't, there will be a bunch of WNBA players who will have something to say about it. And that's good for the game. Personalities are good for the game. Opinions are good for the game. And if it was only about the game, then Mark Davis wouldn't have been complaining two months into the Aces season last year about attendance, right? Now, there better be attendance this year. This is, like I, I heard over the weekend multiple times, the women's game is passing the men's game. Aces games better have seven grand paid. And that's not even a gigantic number. But on average, right? If the, if the interest is there, and a lot of it is there because of the personality. So let's see it at the box office.